Thanks for tuning in to the Prime Bookseller Podcast, the bi-weekly podcast discussing all things Amazon bookselling. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Prime Bookselling Podcast. I'm Eric. We're back again and I'm going to divert myself a little bit on this episode. This is going to be a little bit less about just, you know, the basics of getting a Amazon business up and going, which is what we've been typically covering throughout these podcast episodes. And this one's going to more touch on something that a recent business change that I've considered and I'm thinking I'm turning my focus to this business change because of just the way Amazon works and things like that. And so if you listen to this podcast episode and you're kind of in the beginning stages of this, this may be a little over the top and a little more than you need to hear, but I also think that it's a valuable episode for you to listen to because you can always put it in your head and remember it so that when crossing a borderline like this becomes more of an issue for you, you can always refer back to this episode or at least hopefully have retained something that's said in this episode to help you get through that position. So one of the big things that so early on in the podcast, we talked about the two fulfillment programs that Amazon has. Those two fulfillment programs are FBA and MFN. And when we discussed those, I laid out that FBA is probably the superior program. You'll get better sales, blah, 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 from the FBA program. But there is also a purpose for MFN. And that everybody, especially if you're looking at being a bookseller, you should be looking at least at, as incorporating MFN into your business because there is going to be a roof on FBA that you're going to hit in your business. It will be considerably harder to grow your business. And the, and the primary reason for that is, is because of all the storage limitations that Amazon puts on sellers. And being in the book space, the way they design these programs to allow people to put space stuff into the warehouse really just does not work for a bookseller. And that's because most of the books that are quick-turning, fast-turning items in the book sector, they have no value to anybody. Um, there's just so many copies of them already available online. And there's just such an overabundance of them that they have no value. It's not worth your average bookseller selling, especially if you're a bookseller like me or hopefully you, that is out there cherry-picking books and buying them one by one instead of just bringing in a semi-full of books and just processing through them. And what I've recently realized is because of all these limitations that they're putting on FBA, they're, I still stand by the fact of everything I said in the first episode. FBA is the better program, and if you're first starting out, if you don't have ambitions to grow past maybe two, a 2,000-book inventory, FBA is where you want to go with this, but because I'm at a scale where I want to be bigger than that, um, I'm starting to see that the frustrations with dealing with FBA are are becoming to the point where I look at it as say, is it worth the extra sales to have to deal with all the bullcrap that comes on the back end of FBA? So what does that mean? Is basically so. Very simply, in the last four years, I think it's been, every year, and they do this about uh, about March time frame every year, they redo. A, Amazon changes how they measure what you can put in their war, warehouse completely. They've done this three years in a row at least, maybe even more than that. And 
And this is like a huge frustration because, you know, you think you sit, you spend a year figuring out the new system to figure out, okay, what's the most optimal way for me to put inventory into Amazon's warehouses by reducing the amount of stuff that doesn't sell and, and things like that. You know, just how to make that system work for you in Am in your business. And then you finally get it down at after month 12. And then what do they do? They're not like making minor adjustments to these systems. They're completely redoing them and changing them. And the philosophies have, they're not even based very similarly to the way they were before. So like you have to basically throw out everything you do and start over and figure out, okay, now what's the right system to do this for? And because of that frustration, now maybe they finally got it this year and maybe come March they won't redo the whole thing again. But I'm not even going to trust that that's going to happen. What I've looked at doing is I have found that I can simply order books specifically to sell Merchant Fulfilled and and not even focus on the FBA side. Now, what that what does happen there is, is that you have to be in a unique situation because you have to be able to get enough Merchant Fulfilled books, which a lot of people will tell you that they can't do, which completely understand that. Um, the way I source is very different from most people and they do not have access to the to the books at a drop of a dime that I have access to. But so I understand that argument. But if you are in a position where you can get enough books merchant fulfilled, what I've changed my business philosophy to is, is that I only order new books to be sold as merchant fulfilled. If those books cannot sell merchant fulfilled, I just do not buy them. And I'm not going to abandon FBA because, like I said, I still fully see the huge value in the FBA program. But now what I'm doing is, is I'm simply using FBA as more of a liquidation device for Merchant Fulfilled. So to, to try to put this in a picture that you can envision in your head, it starts up at the top. You order books. They go into the Merchant Fulfilled pile. After a while, I evaluate all that Merchant Fulfilled inventory. And if I don't think that if it's re reached a point where I feel like, okay, the value of this as a merchant fulfilled item has fallen out enough that I don't think it's worth selling it as merchant fulfilled anymore. I take all those items, I evaluate them, and I decide, okay, by leveraging the prime book bump, which again, if you're not familiar with that term, we have an episode several back in this podcast that talks about exactly what the prime book bump is. But we look at that prime book bump and say, okay, if we flip this book and switched it to FBA, sent it in as an FBA book, could we squeeze out a little bit of profit from it and reasonably get a sale? And that's how I intend on building my business moving forward is to leave Merchant Fulfilled up at the top and in it things have to run through Merchant Fulfilled before they go down to FBA. And by doing that, it's kind of what it's doing in my eyes is it's creating the, it's turning FBA from a critical piece of my business to more of an afterthought piece of my business. And by doing that, what Amazon is sitting there doing and adjusting and changing on, on their end every year has very little effect on me. Because, I mean, the books that I'm going to be sending into FBA moving forward, more, more than likely, I would view them as, well, if it ever got to the point where Amazon throttled FBA to the point where 
I didn't even want to deal with it anymore, then simply what I would do is I would just get rid of those books because those all the books that I'm currently sending into FBA are books that I've paid for many, 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 many months ago. And if I have to get rid of, you know, a hundred out of the thousand books that I ordered, um, as long as money still ends up ahead, I'm fine with just disposing of those books and not even worrying about the fact that I can't send them to FBA. Whereas if you flip that circle around and you put yourself where you put FBA as your priority and MFN as your secondary, what happens is FBA becomes a very, very critical piece of your business. And every time that Amazon makes one of these changes to their policies on how you can store items in their warehouse and stuff, it's going to have a huge effect on your, your business and it's going to cause a large amount of stress within your business. So so it's just by making this act simply as flipping from F, making MFN the priority and FBA the secondary, you completely eliminate all that stress from your business, which I think is a win for just about anybody. Now, there's probably some questions revolving that like, well, okay, so you do that. Well, now they're going to make a big change to MFN and it's going to do the same thing. It's going to screw your business up and, and it wouldn't have happened if you would have had FBA as the primary. First of all, is that a possibility? Yes. Historically, it shows that the MFN program has not changed a lot. There, I mean, there has been a couple of big like fee increases over the years, I think. And I can really only think of one off the top of my head, and it was quite a while ago, that jeopardized a lot of merchant fulfilled businesses because Amazon was trying to drive up the minimum price that a book sold for on Amazon. So the po point of being is, is that historically, if you look at the MFN program, Amazon has not really changed and monkeyed with that program other than increasing fees nominally every year that it should not affect your, your, your business. The, the big difference between the MFN program and the FBA program is, is what you're borrowing from Amazon in the MFN program is just bytes. It's just zeros and ones, just computer data. Amazon has an unlimited source of computer data, so you can use as much as you want and they really don't care. When you flip over to the FBA side, now you're leveraging warehouse storage space, which is a commodity. There's a limited amount of this stuff. You know, they're, they're trying to build it as fast as they can. They're trying to keep up, but it, there is not an unlimited supply of it. And because of that, they have to be constantly doing these restrictions. The bigger FBA gets, the more people that are coming in, the more these restrictions have to be put into force because they need to be able to have the manpower to check in your items to sell them, as well as they also need to have just the general warehouse space to do it as well. To give you some examples of this is I can remember back when the FBA program was relatively new, there was a time during Christmas where they literally got so swamped with stuff coming in that they had to shut their warehouses down for a temporary period of time, would not allow anybody. Now keep in mind this is in Q4, this is in the Christmas season, they had to shut it down and not allow anybody to send anything else in because they needed to be able to get the stuff that they had sitting in the warehouses checked in and shipped out. When you add that FBA component to it, 
it creates a lot more challenges on the Amazon side because they're responsible for a lot more things and the, the things that they're responsible for are not digital. And if it, if everything was digital, Amazon could probably program their, program their way to a point where this would never be a problem, but they can't because they're storing physical products, they're shipping physical products that requires physical space and that requires physical people to do those things. And those causes problems. So if you're like sitting there thinking, well, oh my God, this is such a bunch of crap that Amazon does this to their sellers and stuff. It's not because it's just a matter of what you're asking them to do. Um, you use any sort of third party outsourcing program to ship out your items. They're going to have the same kind of restrictions on you. And in fact, I would go as far as to say the third party companies that I've looked at that do something similar to what Amazon FBA does, their restrictions are a lot, lot higher than what Amazon's are. So the point being, the point to being to this is that this is not something you should be like Amazon's a terrible company for doing this and they don't know what they're doing. They know exactly what they're doing. It's just a big challenge to overcome. And you have to understand that, you have to be appreciative of that, and you have to cut them some slack on this. But at the same time, it does cause a lot of problems on your end for your business as well. So you need to look at it and figure, evaluate which way is the best way to go for you. So now um, somebody out there might be thinking, okay, so now we have this episode and we have the first two episodes that talked about Merchant Fulfilled and FBA. I'm left confused on what to do. So if I'm putting myself into a brand new seller seats, what I'm I'm to what I would be telling uh, a brand new seller to look at is, is is that I think if you're a brand new if you're a brand new seller, you still are starting with FBA, and the reason for that is is because again, I thoroughly believe you'll still get better sales with the FBA program. You'll make more money with the FBA program. You'll get quick wins with the FBA program, more so than you will with the Merchant Fulfill program. Not to say that you can't get those wins with the Merchant Fulfill program. It's just easier with the FBA program. So I'd still be the one, I'd start in FBA. But maybe even start, it wouldn't be the worst idea to look at like, dipping your toes into merchant fulfilled immediately. And what I mean by that is is that I can remember back in the day when when I first when we when so when I first started selling on Amazon, FBA wasn't even a thing. It didn't exist yet. It came out while I was selling on Amazon. And the way we initially set up the business with FBA because we were just we didn't really understand what FBA was. When it first came out, everybody on everybody out there that was selling was telling you, don't use FBA. It's a scam. It's a ripoff. It's a blah, 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 which was not true. That was just be people fighting change. But so we tiptoed into FBA, which meant that everything we bought, if we could sell it merchant fulfilled, we sold it merchant fulfilled. But then we kind of opened up the doors to allow more things to be sold. Like I've told you about leveraging the prime book bump. You can buy things to sell FBA that you can't buy to sell Merchant Fulfill. So we kind of opened it up the world to, okay, let's start taking in some of these things that we can't buy to sell Merchant Fulfill and we'll sell, send them FBA. 
And that's how we initially built our business was with very much that it was still a split between Merchant Fulfilled and FBA, but Merchant Fulfilled always got the priority. And I think that you can start purely FBA because when you first start storage space in in an Amazon warehouse is not a concern until it becomes a concern and you get a hundred square feet in a warehouse guarantee, no matter what, as of right now, that could change in March. Always keep that in mind. But as of right now, that's what it is. So that's a lot of space. You can work with that, but it would not hurt you to dabble in MFN, get comfortable with doing MFN because inevitably I would strongly encourage any seller out there to switch to the model of making F- MFN your priority, making your FBA um, secondary. Now, there is one more caveat to this that I should point out because I actually did have a client that I worked with today and he's looking at getting into books, but he's been doing wholesale for a very long, or not, I shouldn't say very long time, but for some time. And we discussed this and my recommendation from him for him was to focus mainly on FBA still because, but the reason for that is, is because generally when you do something like wholesale, wholesale items, they, they turn faster. Their turn, your inventory is going to turn off, turn around much faster. And what happens is when you create that business, the way Amazon has designed these, these restrictions on how much you can send into to a warehouse, they're based on that kind of inventory, not on books. So basically with books, I don't think there's ever a way, unless you're a very, very good book sourcer, that you can really increase your storage limits on how much stuff you can send into the warehouse. Most booksellers are going to find that they're just going to be stuck at the base level and Amazon's never going to raise it up because books just don't turn around fast enough. But on the wholesale side, that's a whole different story. Generally, if you have a pretty healthy wholesale business, you'll just see those numbers continue to climb, 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 climb. And when when I say those numbers, I mean the limits on your FBA storage. So what I told this client was, was that you're probably in a position where you can more leverage FBA if you want to and still get those benefits. But it's very important for you to realize if you are on that wholesale side and you are seeing those numbers increase month after month or whatever, that the minute you jump into the book side, what's going to probably happen is you might not kill the growth of that those storage limits, but the growth is going to slow down because the minute you jump into books, the books are not going to sell fast enough and Amazon is going to penalize you for how not fast those books are selling. So if you do have the unique situation where you're operating an Amazon business that is not books and you're seeing those limits raise, you can approach it from the perspective of that, okay, this is how much it's growing. This is how much space I think I need for my current wholesale business. So this gives me this amount of space to use for books. And you could do that and you could leverage that. And I think that's a safe business model. I mean, but now keep in mind, like I alluded to at the beginning of this podcast, that when you do that, when we talked about it, we said that 
every year they have been changing completely how this is measured, how these storage limits are measured. And because of that, I can't tell you right now that system would work. But if you wait until March and if they completely redo it, now it might not work anymore. <laughs> they may have changed something to the point where that system just isn't going to work anymore. So, so again, it, whenever you put FBA as the top priority, you're always dealing with these yearly massive changes that Amazon makes to that infrastructure to keep make sure that they can with with you know keep up with the demand for it. And from year to year, you'll never know if your business current model is going to work or if you're going to have to readjust it for their new changes next year. So this episode went a little long, but I wanted to get that out there because this has been top of mind for me. And this has been something that that I think I recently made the decision to take this turn. And I think it's a, a, a turn that a lot of sellers should take or should at least think about taking. So I wanted to put it out there in this podcast for everybody to hear so you can make the decision of, of you know, what's the best course of action for you in your business. So with that, I'm going to wrap this episode up. As always, if you do have questions about anything I talk about on this podcast, you can always reach out to me, sales, S-A-L-E-S, at kings, K-I-N-G-S, ridge, R-I-D-G-E, media.com. And as well, jump over to kingsridgemedia.com and check out some of our sourcing options. We also do have links to them down in the show notes, so you can check those out as well. And I will see you in two weeks on the next episode. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks for listening to the Prime Bookseller Podcast. Join us for the next episode as we discuss all things Amazon bookselling. 